Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. We've been working through the book of Acts, been doing this for a while now, which was written by Luke, so that's the author of Luke's Gospel, and we're going to be looking at Acts 12 today, and this, um, this chapter encompasses a really miraculous event that happened after one of the apostles been martyred, and the church were praying, they saw a really powerful answer to prayer, and so I want us to reflect a little bit on prayer and the power of prayer this morning. So, I grew up um, in a Christian family. And so, over the years, I've experienced quite a lot of prayer in different ways. Now, my mum, bless her, whenever something went wrong, whenever something went right, basically whenever anything big or little happened in our lives, my mum would always say, let's pray, let's bring it to God. Whether that be asking for help, asking for guidance, whether it be worship and thanksgiving, Um, And as kids, we would sit there, we'd roll our eyes and be like, oh, no, everything has to be so spiritual, mum. Why are you doing this again? And she'd just smile at us, and she'd appear completely secure in her choice to bring God into every single moment of her life. It could be anything. It could be thanking God for the food on the table, asking him to take away a fear of the dark, give peace after a nightmare in the middle of the night, bringing him a falling out with a friend, Um, to things like our A-level choices. If any of us have a problem at work, she still is like, let's pray about it. Sometimes it was really bold of her and she would pray for people who were really poorly and pray in faith for healing. And um, after all of that, sometimes it'd just be, you know what, this is a really great situation. Let's thank God for it. And we occasionally still do mock my mum a little bit in jest, but her example just so continues to make a huge impact on my life. She lives out that verse in Philippians 4 really, really well, where it talks about constantly bringing things to God in prayer, our petitions and requests, but also bringing thanksgiving. And she models this so well. We've always been able to see this play out. And even in the midst of disappointments where she's felt that God has maybe not responded in the way that she'd hoped, she never seemed to pray with any less faith than the time before, and it always blew my mind. And it's a really beautiful quality that I see the value of more and more as, um, as I kind of make my way through life, and I strive to be more like her because of it. Because of this quality, because she continues to model it, our extended family and friends um, often come to her and say, die, this has happened, and she gets to pray for them. Even if they don't have a faith, they'll sometimes come and they'll talk, and my mum will be like, you know what, I'm going to pray about that. And people start to recognise that. They recognise that she has unwavering trust in God, and that her honestly really reliable response is immediately to pray. And I want to remind us of a, it's a slightly cheesy quote, but nonetheless, it's really important from Corrie Ten Boom. And she said, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tyre? And I often wonder what God, um, what God would do and what our church would look like if we continue to live in the reality of that. If we didn't just look at prayer as being the last resort, but our first response, no matter what comes our way, whether it's good or bad. And so... 
this isn't to bring us to, to bring us down to start on a bit of a downer, but actually it's a really awesome opportunity to know that we can grow. Um, and we can learn more of who God is through our prayer lives. And that we are invited, as God's children, to bring everything to him. Whether it's big, small, happy, sad. Um, in that really childlike way, we get to bring all of that to him. Today's passage so, shows an instance where the church were praying. And God answered in a really, really miraculous way. So I don't know if, you, if you've got your Bible with you, maybe you want to turn to Acts chapter 12. We're going to see how the church didn't lessen their prayers in the face, in the face of sadness and trial and disappointment. Um, but they continue to bring things to God in faith. And we're going to read it together. It should also come up on the screen behind us. It says this. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer was made for him, or was made to God by the church. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognising Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind, but she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him, did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. 
and the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. So I'm going to stop there. The final verse is like a link between um, the passages. So there's an awful lot there. (laughs) We've got someone who's died. We've got someone whose chains fell off in prison and a huge iron gate opened of its own accord. People are surprised and amazed. And we've got this king who is seeing himself as a god and then God strikes him down with judgment. So there's, there's so much there. Um, But before we kind of dig into it, let's ground ourselves a little bit in the context of this passage. So we're in Acts. It's written by Luke, um, who's a physician or a doctor. He's sharing this account of what happened in the early church to a man called Theophilus, who was most likely a Gentile of high social standing. um, And so he's writing to explain to this man what happened around the life, the death, resurrection, and the early church. And so he's retelling what's happened, and he mentions at the beginning of Luke in an orderly way. And I think that's quite important, because it's not embellishing, he's not trying to kind of generate a hype, he's just saying, okay, I'm going to relay what has happened. And so what's happened here in our passage? We see Herod, who's the Roman-appointed ruler at the time. Um, I immediately assumed Herod thought, oh, Herod in the nativity, but no, this is Herod's, Herod in the nativity, his grandson. So this is Herod Agrippa. And Encyclopedia Britannica describes him as being a clever diplomat. He used his relationships with those in Roman rule to rise in rank. And he, he was known for being quite impulsive, known for raking up debts. And he was thrown into prison when he was younger for six months for making remarks about the current emperor that weren't very flattering. And so as a ruler... Um, He's kind of risen out of this this weird kind of situation where, yes, he's related to a previous ruler, but he's used relationships and manipulated things so that he's ended up in power. And in his rule, he held fast to orthodox Jewish policies. So it gained him favor amongst the Jews more broadly in that culture. And so it starts with the fact that he's killed James. Now, it's thought that it was probably to gain political attention and approval. And in Acts, this comes across as like a little bit of a marker. So there has been persecution. That's been mentioned a few times. The only martyr that we've heard of so far has been Stephen. And so there's a sense that this has escalated a little bit, that James, even one of the original 12 disciples who knew, with, um, who knew Jesus and walked with him in his life, um, even he hasn't been spared. And so based on the success of this, this has gone down really well with the Orthodox Jews, um, he decides to arrest Peter as well. Now this takes place during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, so it's like a holiday, and it's not to be corrupted with a trial, as this would probably diminish some of the reputation that he's built amongst the Orthodox Jews. And so this left Peter a few days in prison before he was brought to trial. And so Herod... He knows that people who follow Jesus have mysteriously escaped prison before, as we've seen in Acts 5. And so he gives four groups of four soldiers responsibility for guarding Peter to make sure that he doesn't escape. And God provides for Peter's escape in the most remarkable way. He's struck awake by an angel, for a start. It's just madness. Um, The chains fall off his hands. He's guarded by a soldier on each side. And they haven't heard this, they're sleeping, and the chains have fallen off. And he walks past 
these guards. He walks past the others who are outside the kind of cell where he would have been staying. And then when they get to the gate that leads into the city, this massive iron gate just opens. It'd be amazing if it was just a normal door, you know what I mean? Like, if that door just opened of its own accord, I'd be like, oh my goodness. But no, this is a huge iron gate. This is no small thing. And so he walks and he goes to where the believers, he, he were, where some of the believers would be meeting, which is at Mary's home. And so they've been praying and Peter comes and that's really, really exciting, but they probably would have been wrestling with, okay, why, why was James martyred? Why has that happened? Why has God chosen to spare Peter? And so there's, so there's so much in this passage. I'd really encourage you to go and actually have a look at it in your own time as well. As each time I read it, I felt like there were slightly different things that God pointed out to me, which is really awesome and exciting. So um, I'm going to bring a few of my thoughts and reflections on this this morning. So I want to start with verse 5. Okay, it says, hopefully, there we go. It says, Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer was for him was made to God by the church. Now, they've responded to difficulty by gathering together and praying. A bit like my mum, who was immediately like, oh, something's happened, let's gather and pray about it. They have immediately responded to any sort of difficulty by grouping to pray. So, looking at verse 5, they're praying earnestly. Now, I spent a little bit of time looking at the Greek, um, kind of, and looking at how the Greek words use influence the translation that we've got. And the, the word in the Greek here is ektenos, which, when you explore, like, the meanings of it, there are mentions of being fervent, really, really praying fervently, but also there are parts where it's expressed as being, like, stretched, so at maximum potential or capacity. And that really struck me. There aren't many uses of the word earnest in the Bible. This is one of two. But a similar term, um, but slightly more earnest, if you like, is used when Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. So we kind of get a feel of what this earnest prayer might look like. This is extreme, like, desperation, crying out to God for him to intervene. Now, there's a level of which this kind of being fully extended, being at maximum capacity, if you like, in prayer, often comes when we reach really difficult periods in our lives. Like this group who were praying for a friend and leader that was being persecuted for their faith. However, I really want us to think this morning that we don't need to wait for those times to explore how earnestly we might pray. And I wonder what it looked like for us to reach more of a maximum potential in our day-to-day -day life, in our prayer life. Perhaps that means to pray um, more intentionally with people in your everyday. So, for instance, if someone comes to you and they're talking about something that's difficult, um, I've had quite a difficult week, and this morning immediately I got here and Hillary um, was listening to me talk a little bit about my week, and she said, let's pray. So there are instances where it might be that we pray more intentionally in our conversations in our daily lives. Or maybe it might be to set aside some time to think about how to pray. So a little while ago, um, I read the book Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. And I really love the way that he talks about prayer in, in his book. And he reflects on like how the apostles, when they saw Jesus praying, 
they said, teach us how to pray. There was obviously something that was so different about the way that Jesus prayed that they hadn't encountered before, that they hadn't seen before, a real closeness with God that maybe they hadn't experienced. And so um, he... I've lost my train of thought. Bear with me. (laughs) Um, When when Rich is writing about this, um, he refers to the fact that God um, talks about us being his children. It's talked about us being brought into the family of God when we accept what Jesus has done and we make him the Lord of our life. And so um, he writes in his book about the fact that when we come to God, we are his children. We get to come with that same boldness. I don't know if you've, well, there's plenty of toddlers around um, at the moment, but they go to their parents and they, they just offer up what they've got, whether it's anger and frustration, whether it's, I need a sandwich, why haven't you brought me lunch? They just bring it. There's no kind of inhibition there. And so Richard Foster talks about this in his book. And he writes this, to pray is to change. To ask rightly involves transformed passions. In prayer, real prayer, we begin to think God's thoughts after him, to desire the things that he desires, to love the things he loves, to will the things that he wills. Progressively, we're taught to see things from his point of view. And with this in mind, he later says, imagination often opens the door to faith. If God shows us a shattered marriage whole or a sick person well, it helps us to believe that it will be so. Children instantly understand these things and respond well to praying with the imagination. And so thinking about this approach, giving time to kind of reflect on this has really changed the way that I pray. Asking God to shape my thoughts, I might picture the person or situation that I'm praying for. And if I'm praying for freedom, what does that freedom look like? What do I see? How do I see that playing out? If I pray for protection, what does that protection look like? How might that play out? And so I want to encourage us this morning that um, despite the fact that when these situations arise, it really causes us to cry out in desperation, I want to encourage us to be earnest now. Like, we don't have to wait for those situations to really press in and to really think about prayer more and spend more time um, talking to God about these things. Secondly, going back to verse 5, Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. I was really struck by this use of the word, but Peter was kept in prison, Okay, They were probably mourning the loss of someone who was a friend, or at the very least, someone who was highly esteemed in their community. They probably asked God to intervene there first and not seen the answer that they'd hoped for. Peter was kept in prison for a few days, but earnest prayer was made to God by the church. They probably had big questions about why God didn't intervene and why Peter was spared. Um, I mean, they didn't know that at the time, but they prayed anyway. It was hard. It was hard going. They might not have seen a way out, but they were pushing through, trusting that God could still intervene, despite the fact that this hadn't happened with James. What really makes me smile in this passage is the fact that despite the fact that they're all praying for Peter to be released, when Peter arrives, Rhonda is so gobsmacked by the fact that Peter's outside that she just leaves him outside the door and runs in and is like, oh my goodness, Peter's outside. And it's only when they hear him knocking that they go back to the door and they're like, oh my goodness, he really is outside. And I'm really reassured by this. Okay, they, they obviously had 
faith to go to God with these things. But they didn't have so much faith that they were looking for his answer. They seemed quite surprised by the fact that he has immediately um, allowed Peter to be released. And I'd really like us to take courage from that and be encouraged by their response. They trusted that God could answer, but they weren't certain that, they'd, that he would respond in the way that they hoped. Despite our lack of faith at times, God still invites us to ask. Philippians 4 that I mentioned earlier um, mentions that we should bring all requests and all thanksgiving to God. It's a challenge. It might come with some really big disappointments. But God invites us to bring those disappointments too. Um, When I was younger, um, I went to kids work in our local church and I really, really looked up to this couple who just seemed so excited about faith. They got me so excited about faith and about Jesus. And what was really hard was a few years later, I kind of, we'd left that church and moved on to somewhere else, but um, I heard that he'd got cancer and he was um, not yet 40. He had just adopted two little boys with his partner. And what happened was, was awful. He got, he got cancer and he was very, very sick. And we prayed so much as a family. We prayed and prayed and prayed. The church got around and prayed and prayed and called out to God to intervene. And it was really difficult and it was really hard. And he had faith for healing, but we didn't see it happen. He unfortunately went, um, he passed away. And it's not fortunate for him. He's got to be with Jesus, which is so exciting. But we were just devastated. We were devastated. And for me as a teenager, it really, really knocked my faith. It really knocked me sideways. And I just could not see how a good God could not intervene and could not fix that situation. But God invites us to bring those things as well. And I don't know about you, but I often really relate to the prayer of the centurion that Jesus encountered. And he couldn't see a way out of the situation that he was in. But he said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And this morning, like, I believe that God is a really loving father. He's willing to help us grow and learn, but he's compassionate. He is open to how we come to him, whether that be in disappointment or in praise and thanksgiving. So we see that they're praying earnestly and they're praying despite the fact that they have seen a lot of disappointment. So going back to our passage, the passage continues to Peter, um, who's arrived, he's been freed, and he immediately testifies to God's power. And so I want to bring us to think about a second point, which is, which is just actively testifying to God's power. And by testifying, I just mean that it's to say something is true. Um, Like you would in a court and you were called to testify, you say what is true. um, And that is what I'm saying by testifying to God's power. Um, And so he immediately testifies to the fact that God has freed him. He can't see a way that this happened without God. He knows that God's intervened. Now, when he enters the room, I really would have loved to hear the whole of the conversation. I don't know if if you can just imagine it for a minute. The general kind of excited babble, the general look of shock at Peter entering the room, they would have just been so surprised. There might have been floods of questions like, oh my goodness, what are you doing here? What happened? How have you escaped? Like, or have you escaped? Have they let you go? Like, there's so many thoughts. And I I imagine that that's more of what it's like because it says that Peter 
like shush them. He told them to be quiet. And then he's, he's then just said, it's God who's done the work. It's not me. And he testifies to what God has done. And I found it really interesting that the, one of the only parts of that conversation that is actually recorded is the command to share that word with other believers. He's, he's probably sat with them, explained all of this, explained what's happened. But the bit that Luke has chosen to write down is, um, he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers to share this. Now, I think there's a number of reasons for this. I imagine they wouldn't have heard it from Herod. He would not have been spreading it around that someone had escaped again. And victories would have only spread through word of mouth amongst that community. I think telling um, how God has been at work in your life, it raises your faith. And I imagine that that is part of the reason why Peter has said, let's make sure we tell people about this. These stories, they're encouraging, they're uplifting, and honestly, they're life-giving when everyone around you is maybe hiding their beliefs for fear of being persecuted or killed. On a human level, there was probably a sigh of relief. Oh my goodness, we're not crazy. God is at work. He is providing for our needs. And although it's hard, we are standing up for the right thing. We are um, doing what is right. And I think there's also a really special encouragement when you hear experiences of those who are being actively persecuted for their faith. Although we see increasing discomfort in this country, it's nothing on the risk of being tortured or beaten or killed for expressing your faith. And to hear that people are risking their lives reminds me that faith and free expression of worship is such a great price for so many. And it also reminds me that actually I owe all that I am and that I have to God. In November in 2018, I had the privilege of going to the Open Doors Standing Strong celebration. So Open Doors is an organization that works with the persecuted church. They provide resources. They um, surround them with prayer. They do so much work. And so I'd really encourage you to have a look if you haven't come across them before. But at this, at this um, celebration day, there was one lady, and she shared her experience. And she said... Um, she, I mean, immediately she went under a different name. She couldn't share her actual name. She shared her experience of being tortured for her faith, how her husband was executed because of, they took a stand against the authorities. She had chosen to flee, but her children chose to stay behind um, because they wanted to know that where they were going, they would be safe, and it was safer to stay at home than it was to go with her. And so she had endured long-term separation from her children. And now, unfortunately, I can't remember where this lady was from. But what I know is that this isn't an uncommon experience amongst um, a lot of countries across the world. And despite all of her suffering, and man, she had experienced a lot of suffering. She was so, so quick to just with such, um, such love for God, she, she just gave him the glory. She gave him the glory for bringing her through. She so loved, you could see that she just so loved Jesus and so wanted to praise him and worship him through everything that she said. And she praised him for his faithfulness and actually his mercy to her, despite the fact that she had been tortured, that she had had all of these awful things happen to her. She praised God for his mercy. It blew me away. I didn't know what to do with my thoughts after that. I felt so so challenged in my own prioritization of what of my faith and my maybe my lack of gratitude for the safety of my own circumstances 
And so in doing this and sharing what God's doing, we give the glory back to God for our lives. Not only do we encourage um, everyone around us, it's a way of just going, actually, this is God. This isn't us. This isn't something that I have done. And going back to what passage, there's a really stark difference between the attitude of Peter and of Herod. Peter says that he knows without a doubt that only the Lord could provide such an escape. And he immediately goes and said, the Lord has freed me and I'm, let's share that with people. First is you've got Herod who has, has been given power and ultimately he's been given power by God because God is all powerful. But he was so quick to bask in their worship of him rather than point them to God. Despite the fact that he is, he's well respected amongst the Orthodox Jews, they all fear God and he is so quick just to receive that worship that they give him anyway. Now, God is holy, he's all-powerful, he's God, and he is the only God. And you only have to look at the first and second commandment of the Old Testament to see that to worship God um, and to not put anything before him um, is so central to our lives as his followers. And so to acknowledge our weakness and dependence on him, to give him the glory for what he's done, is just so important. So for us today, are we sharing what God is doing? Are we acknowledging his power and his work rather than our own? I wonder who we share it with. I know for me it can be easy to hold on to only sharing these experiences with other Christians, actually. But it might be something for us to ponder. Are we sharing these things with people that we're sharing our faith with as well? In a way, by choosing to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he died to take away the sin that separates us from God, accepting that he rose again, we all have a testimony to God's power already. You've come to accept him, if you know him already, which is a work of God. If you're thinking that this is exciting, you don't know God yet, but you're like, wow, I want some more of this. That's a work of God. That's his grace and his power at work in your life. So... I want to encourage you, let's share that experience with others, to use this as a way of both encouraging and helping each other to grow in faith and understanding, but also to use it as a way of praising him. So we're coming towards the end, and we've gone on a little bit of a journey through this passage. We've thought about the context of this particular example, of God being at work amongst the early church. Now, this time was not without difficulty. It, was all, it could have been really difficult and really awful, but despite this, they prayed earnestly. They prayed in faith, giving their requests to God, crying out for his mercy towards Peter. And God answered in a really miraculous way. These people weren't perfect. They had enough faith to ask, but the answer took them by surprise. And it brought about faith in the people that they shared it with. They immediately went to testifying to God's goodness and his power. And so when I was preparing for this, I felt like God might be speaking to some of us here in particular ways. And by that, I mean that you might feel like some of this particularly challenges you, but maybe it's stuck in your memory, or maybe it's particularly inspired you to live differently this week. Um, but there are kind of three people who, um, or three groups of people that I feel might be, um, might be kind of wrestling with this in a particular way. So the first one, I think there's some people who really struggle with the idea of earnest prayer. It feels like a chore, it feels like it's hard work, it feels like it's difficult, it feels like it's weighty and a burden. It's a source of guilt because you feel like maybe you don't do it enough or you don't spend enough time. And I believe that God really wants to break a little bit of that this morning. That he wants to show you how much joy there can be in 
just you being a child coming to their father, bringing joys and sorrows, and how often the parent is, they want to hear all about it. And God is the same. He wants to hear all about those things.